Glad you're with us now for Until All Have Heard, which comes to you from the Far East Broadcasting Company. Our host is Ed Cannon, who is president of FEBC, and I'm Wayne Shepard. And we're going to hear a conversation you recently had with a man named Frank Gray. Now, Frank was with us previously on the podcast. It was program number 143, if anyone wants to go back in the archive and listen. But you have a new conversation to share today. Yeah, well, Frank has got such a wealth of knowledge about the history of FEBC. He was actually working in the country of Laos way, way back in the 60s and early 70s. He shares with us a little bit about his experience there and the development of a broadcaster who was influential in the conversion of hundreds of thousands of Hmong people. Mm-hmm. So I hope you find this as interesting as I did. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you had this conversation with Frank online recently, and our producer, Joe Carlson, captured it. Well, a few weeks ago, we had the opportunity to sit down, Frank, and, and chat about uh, the early days of FEBC and your time in Laos. And I recall you saying specifically how you grew to appreciate the value and the power of shortwave radio. Um, In particular, today, let's turn to the uh, effect that that shortwave radio and those broadcasts had on a group of people known as the Hmong in uh, northern Vietnam and all through Southeast Asia. And I know you've got a lot of interesting stories and a great report on on that movement. Why don't you tell us about that, Frank? Yes, it was a a huge privilege for me to um, be part of that experience. Um, the Hmong, in fact, are, are across Southeast Asia. Um, you mentioned Vietnam, but also in Laos, where I was, and in North Thailand, and in Myanmar. And uh, in fact, the majority of the Hmong um, are in Southwest China. And so, in total, they number about 12 million. Um, now, I was not aware of that. When uh, I was there, I was thinking the, the Hmong were just in Laos, and then I realized that that's perhaps just the tip of the iceberg as far as their total population. There are various uh, dialects of Hmong. Um, we also had the privilege of uh, living right next door to a lady who was in the process of translating the New Testament into Hmong. So we used to uh, hear some mm. of her anecdotes and stories and misconceptions and <laughs> struggles mm. with certain passages of scripture as she tried to <laughs> relay faithfully what it was in Hmong language and what the Hmong would make of that when they read it. So we felt quite close to them. Um, of course, the church in Laos was uh, not very many Lao in Vientiane. It was mo- mainly Hmong people and Kumuk people, and that's what comprised the majority of them. And even in the Bible school, the majority of Bible school students were Hmong. Um, but they were all having to learn in in Lao language and then put it into their own uh, language to pass on yeah. to their people. In those days, um, I'm not even sure, was Laos a communist country? And was there oppression against the spread of the Christian gospel? Um, no, it was um, an open country until the um, end of the Vietnam um, War in um, 1975. And so we had uh, freedom of access uh, there, and I was there from 69 to 75. Mm. And um, it was in a war zone, though, and the sure. 
um, war just happening up the road, just up the road from where we were, <laughs> mm. that dominated a lot of the conversation and activity of that time. And so we couldn't venture very far because yeah. it was yeah. a, 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 an area that was under um, attack. Um, it was contested. You had the Hmong um, CIA-backed army, and mm. uh, they were trying to hold back the Viet Cong and the Patet Lao, the communist um, division of the Hmong, um, and fighting um, intensively. And there were lots of um, refugees within the country that had to flee their villages and move down to the plains out of the mountains where they, they came from. So it was a, a big upheaval um, and um, a difficult time. But it was a time when God was at work too, um, and mm. it's amazing that that was that time in history for them, yeah, yeah. and that was the beginning of the the movement toward um, Christian faith and belief, um, dating back to about 1950. Yeah, and how long had FEBC been broadcasting on shortwave radio into the Lao people at that time? Um, I have the original. Um, broadcaster here. In fact, this was from 1954, yeah. and it showed that the oh. Lao had just started. So that was in June 1954, and that was what the Hmong used to listen to to begin with mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, until we were able to um, start producing a Hmong language um, programs to send to uh, the Philippines. Mm. And that was about 1970, was the time when Hmong language broadcast started. Ah, ah. Well, okay, so what started in 1954? Lao. Oh, Lao. Okay, I see. That was the Lao yes. language, 1954. But the Hmong people were listening to some of the Lao broadcasts, even though it yes, wasn't their yes, language. They, um, they understood, um, to a certain extent, I see. the Lao. I see. Yeah. And uh, that was what... Um, uh, got their attention, yeah, but so much yeah. better when we were able to actually record in their own language. And so I know that's what kind of what you want to talk about a lot today was the the turning of the Hmong people to Christ and this huge movement that was started by a broadcaster. I think you know him pretty well. His name was John Lee, right? Yes. Um, he was a Bible school student um, when we had our studio out at the Bible school. And um um, I was struck by John and by his communication skills. He was such a an affable fellow, and he communicated so well with people. And um, I remember watching him when he was recording his programs um, later. He didn't do programs for us then, but he was just into talking to his people, and his face would be beaming, and mm -hmm. it was just a treat to watch him because mm -hmm. he was obviously relating to the people. And I think that was his huge strength in subsequent years, that he'd mm -hmm. grown up in that, mm -hmm. in those villages, and he knew what village life was like. And he wasn't uh, brought up in the West and sure. um, and he had a heart of compassion, and yeah, uh, yeah. that just came through in his broadcasts, and he related the gospel to them in yeah. their situation and the fear of the spirits, which just dominated their lives and so on. And he was able to speak um, truth into that situation. And um, the letters that we received from Hmong people were so consistent in what they were saying, the struggle with the spirits and the domination of yeah, spirits. Yeah and how their lives were 
um, miserable because of the mm-hmm. fear of the spirits that dominated mm-hmm. them and controlled them. You know, I, I don't want to get away from the story of the Hmong people, but you've just pointed out something, Frank, that I've admired about you for many, many years, and that is your commitment to the understanding and belief that it is local people who understand the local culture and speak the native dialect language who can most effectively communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to these people. And you've instilled that in the principles of FEBC that still exist to this very day, that it's it's not translated Western messages, uh, but it's it's messages from people like John Lee, who grew up in that city, who grew up in that culture, know the people, know the language, and most effectively can communicate. So, you know, I know that that's a great contribution you've made to FEBC over the decades. And, um, yeah, yeah. so I just thought I'd point that out to our listeners. Yeah, I don't want to take credit for that, though, because I think that's been the value of um, of FEBC right from the beginning, uh, national to national. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I was glad to uphold that because it made such sense yeah. um, rather than importing and translating materials that were preached right, somewhere else. Right, right. Okay, so back to the Hmong people. Tell us a little bit more about what happened after John Lee started broadcasting those people. Well, he didn't start till he came um, to North America as a refugee. Um, we worked together um, in helping establish the Hmong pastors in North America back in 76, 77, mm-hmm. and it resulted in us having a big conference um, when all these pastors from various parts, from Hawaii right through to Providence, Rhode Island, east and west, about 23 of them um, all came together to organize the mm-hmm. um, CNMA's Hmong um, Alliance Church, and um, that was in November 78. And so that was how that um, North American um, branch of the Hmong Church um, developed, and it grew and grew. It was about 50,000 strong within a few years, and it was quite an amazing thing. Um, And then when we've done that, then that gave us both an out, and I was invited to join um, FEBC and John Lee was going to go off to Bible school where he'd been offered a scholarship. And I I saw the uh, importance of getting him into FEBC because uh-huh. he was just the man that God had chosen for the broadcast. And so I laid it out to him and I said, pray about it. And he came back to me and said, yes, I believe that's the right thing for me to do. And it, uh, it's one of those situations where you say, what if? Now, what if he hadn't, and who would it have been if it hadn't been him? He was obviously God's person for that um, particular role, and he just um, moved into that and became such a a loved and appreciated um, speaker that even when he died, you possibly Mm. saw that about 5,000 people came to his Mm. funeral and Mm. to pay homage to this person that meant so much in their lives. And so just for the listeners to describe what the this was, you convinced him to come to FEBC and produce uh, Hmong language broadcasts, which were in turn sent to the Philippines and broadcast on shortwave radio into Southeast Asia. Is that right? 
That's right, yes. And it was just 15 minutes a day to start off with, but um, they felt the need to be able to cover more in their programs. And so there was a morning slot mm-hmm. and a, an evening slot. And I think mm-hmm. they were both extended to half an hour mm-hmm. in the morning and half mm-hmm. an hour in the evening. Because mm-hmm. um, his wife also made programs. And uh, she was a different dialect of Hmong. He was uh, Blue Hmong and she was White Hmong. And they're slightly different uh, about 10% difference in terms of dialect. So they made programs together. Wow, that's fascinating. And how long, Frank, was John Lee's broadcast aired to the Hmong people? For how many years? Well, until he died. He died prematurely. He had a massive heart attack in 2002. Mm. And so it was from 1977, I suppose, to 2002. It's about 25 years oh. of, of ministry that he had. Why don't you share a little bit about what the result of all that was? Well, yes. Um, one of the, the problems that we faced after he died, what do we do with his old programs? Because he was having such an impact mm-hmm. on the people. And we told them that um, the listeners knew that he'd gone to be with the Lord um, but then if we were to air his programs again, they wouldn't understand that because uh, where was he speaking from? From, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. <laughs> from heaven? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and so there was some serious discussion on what do we do with this wonderful stuff that he's produced because we can't really air it again, else it will cause huge confusion among many listeners. Um, but... He was um, such an active part in 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 the um, radio ministry, and it was having such a an impact. Um, we didn't know at the time, but in in Vietnam, um, this was uh, a tremendous thing for them. And it was only we started um, hearing. Um, in, fact, in fact, I think the information first came out through publication of the. Vietnam government um, fearful of the um, many Hmong people that were becoming Christians and um, they'd always been afraid of minority groups and that they might rise up against them and so uh, this was a a great concern to them and they produced a lot of um, publicity to discourage people from listening to the broadcasts and this was in the the late 80s And, and they put um, quite a large figure, over a hundred thousand um, Hmong that had become Christian, and what were they going to do about it? Um, of course, uh, since then we've we've learned a lot more. But I think the, the the point is that we can see how God had been preparing the Hmong people mm. to receive this message, because mm. in their own culture they had a stories that go back to the flood and how that they'd fallen out with God and that they'd become separated from him. But uh, one day someone was going to come to them and tell them how they could reconnect with God again. And uh, uh, Lee Chong, Zhong Li, he picked up on this and talked about that jewel. And that Jew was, in fact, Jesus. Mm. And that was why Jesus came, to bring mm-hmm. them back to himself. Mm. And he also mentioned the Lamb's Book of Life and how when they were um, 
when they came to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their names would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Mm-hmm. And that um, there's an account of how one day John Lee showed up with this enormous package of papers, and there were 300,000 names there oh my gosh. of people in Vietnam who wanted to make sure that their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's amazing, <laughs> so isn't it? It's an amusing story, but it's wow. um, absolutely amazing. You know, Frank, as we, uh, we, we kind of wrap this piece up, can I read for you one of the letters uh, that Pastor Lee received from a Hmong listener in Laos? The, the listener writes to say, At this time, I'm so happy to write you. I just wanted to let you know that when my family and I were listening to your radio broadcast and heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we then decided to accept him as our Lord and personal Savior. We listen to your broadcast every day, but our faith in the Lord is still like a little infant that depends on being nurtured in the arms of its parents. So finally, keep on broadcasting so we can learn more from the Word of God and always pray that our faith will grow and be able to lead others to his kingdom, and someday we'll meet the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. It's a beautiful letter, isn't it, Frank? Mm, wonderful. You have so much good information to share with us, Frank, that can I invite you to come back again and join us next time to tell a little bit more about some of the history of FEBC and what you saw with your own eyes in those days that the Lord was doing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd be very happy to add that. be tremendous. Okay. Look forward to that next one, Frank. See you again soon. Okay. Great to have that conversation for all of us to hear today on Until All Have Heard between Ed Cannon and Frank Gray. And as they mentioned, Frank will be back in the future. He was with us previously, and I mentioned earlier that you can listen to that podcast as well as number 143, in addition to today's program, number 155. A great resource to follow up on today's conversation is called Unreached in Focus. It's a resource for both churches and individuals, and you'll find information at febc.org. With thanks to producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to Until All Have Heard.